Well, welcome in, everyone, and a happy Friday night. What better way to spend it than with two hours of Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario? It is This Week in Hockey, and we are with you as we wrap up this week of Blues hockey and get you set for the weekend when the Blues take on the Dallas Stars. But first things first, Joe, a happy Friday night to you, buddy. One of the my most favorite times of the year, Alex, you know, because baseball hasn't quite started yet. The Super Bowl just got wrapped up. Congratulations for the Kansas City Chiefs for winning the Super Bowl. How about Missouri right now? They got some hardware. And (laughs) you know what? Football's over. Baseball hasn't quite started. Obviously, basketball is going on, but who watches basketball? (laughs) And uh, a lot of focus on hockey, which is uh, a fun time of the year for me, for sure. What is it, 26, 27 games now for the rest of the season that you have? I think we're around that. Yeah, we're in the 20s, man. It has flown. Doesn't it feel like it's gone by quickly? It really does, but I also think there's just that fatigue factor that feels like it was playoffs from when we started in August up until now. Yeah, well, and you're, you're, you must be going by a lot quicker because you pretty much sleep here now. I pretty much just decide to steal the radio from every <laughs> single other person that wants to do their job here. But hey, that's the business, right? But no, honestly, you get this... There's there's check marks. You know, you hit the All Star break. That's a check mark. Once you get the trade deadline, that's a check mark. Once it starts to get warmer out, that's a playoff reminder, at least for me. So you're hitting those small benchmarks right now before you hit playoff hockey, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's the last check mark is that trade deadline for me before things really ramp up. Not that they're not ramping up now. I mean, teams are teams are getting desperate. Alex, uh, this is the time of the year where Blues made their push last year, which we all remember and and how that happened. So every GM, every coach this year is telling their teams the time is now. Winnipeg Jets last night talking to some of their players, talking to the broadcasters. The the tone for that team heading into last night's game was just that the time is now to win. If we don't make hey now who knows what decisions we made at the deadline buy or sell so teams are going to start ramping it up but yeah to me that trade deadline is that last check mark because you start the year obviously you got the newness of the year then the holidays come thanksgiving break then you have christmas break then there's the all-star then the bye week trade deadline and then after that it's like light at the end of the tunnel playoff hockey let's go well and i would imagine that energizes the players too right because this is that lull of a season that it's like Okay, are we done here? Like, can we get into some meaningful hockey? And this right now is meaningful hockey, but playoffs is another entity for these guys. It, it was an old expression when I used to play. I think it's still probably evident, but it, it would always would say, "We just got to get to March." Well, you are old, Joe, yeah, so I it's am. an old expression. It is very true. Uh, <laughs> just get to March. Everyone always say, "Just get to March." In January, in February, when it was cold, when it was a bit depressing, when the grind was on, for sure, everyone would just say, "We just got to get to March." And March was a sign that the deadline was beha- behind you. You have March. You got about a month of the season left. Four weeks. Let's have a little giddy up. Let's figure out a way to get it in, and um, let's get going to playoffs. And that's what that's what the Blues are doing right now. You know, we're a couple weeks now into February. The trade deadline is around the corner and after that it's just uh it's playoff hockey but again it it is something that the blues can't look too far ahead because they're gonna run into what they ran into last night with opponents who are desperate and hungry and and wanting to take down the champs yeah and as we look at this past week joe we have a lot to actually break down you had the friday game where they lost to the edmonton oilers then the saturday game where they lost to the vancouver canucks and let's just start with those two because that was a wrap-up of a really tough road trip i mean one and three overall and you know what's funny it doesn't feel like you went one and three it feels like you went 0-4 because that one victory was more Craig Berube not being happy about the way that they played. Yeah, exactly. And the win that they had in Calgary, they get the two points in that shootout, but Craig Berube was actually fired up and feisty about 
the win. So you almost can look at that in some ways as a loss. But, you know, I think that the the tone for that road trip was certainly you're coming off a break and you want to just get back into it. I think that it was a tough situation for any team to come off an off week and an all-star break to go right into swinging through Western Canada. You got two time zone difference. You're back on the road. You're in Canada. The guys are a little bit more out of their comfort zone. And uh, you're on that West Coast and you're playing some really good teams. I mean, again, these aren't just fluky Canadian teams anymore, Alex. We talked about this on the broadcast, but you know, five, six years ago, you used to go to California, Western California, and you were in for a like bout. I mean, it was the San Jose Sharks. They were big and heavy. Then you had to go to the Ducks, and they were big and heavy. And the LA Kings were the Stanley Cup defending champs. I mean, it was just a lot of skill and heaviness on that road trip, and they were all one, two, three in the Pacific. Now it's changed. Now it's gone north. Now you go to northern Canada and western Canada, excuse me, and you have the Vancouver Canucks that are atop the Pacific. Calgary Flames, I think, were number two when the Blues joined that road trip. And then Edmonton Oilers are right behind them in number three. So it was mm-hmm. a one, two, three punch. They got the skill and they got the fire. They got the fast forwards now. They're getting the goaltending at the time. So I, I don't want to say the Blues had a terrible road trip because they were playing some really good opponents in their buildings and again were desperate to kind of inch their way closer to the Pacific title right there. I think at the time, I think all three teams were locked at like 67 points yeah, or something well, around at the time. Or, Vancouver was a point ahead of the other two because they were 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. Vancouver won and then they extended it by 3. Yeah. Then you had Edmonton and Calgary kind of battling it yeah, out. Yeah, I think they're both locked at 57. So, you know, some desperate hockey, but certainly an inconsistent 60-minute affair every game on that road trip. And and this is something that has been kind of the common theme, you know, since that All-Star bye week. I mean, aside from that Carolina game, which I thought was a pretty dominant performance, I think the Blues are kind of struggling since that All-Star break to put 60 together. And Mm -hmm. again, this is no reason for panic, I don't think. I think it's just something that these lulls happen in the season where you just do find a little inconsistent play. But putting 60 together has certainly been the the theme for me. And it's funny, hearing Craig Brewery's comments after all these games from All-Star Week or All-Star Break till now, it seems like we had a good second period. Or the next game is, well, we played good in the first. Right. Or, we listen, we finished strong. We, we, we came back hard in that Winnipeg game last Saturday. We're down 3 nothing. Listen, we had a good third. We came back. We gave ourselves a chance. That seems to be the theme. And when that is the theme and you're not necessarily getting the save, at times you're going to be losing games. Well, and, you know, even when you go to... The, the first home game, they win against the Carolina Hurricanes, and, you know, they kind of put a slaughter on Carolina, Joe. But if you break it down piece by piece, you started off that first period slow. I mean, I think you and Curbs mentioned it. That was four times that the Blues went behind their net in the opening faceoff because Carolina was swarming. They break out of it. Still not a great first period, but you're in the hockey game. You get into the second, that's when you unloaded. The third period, you still score, but Carolina scores a couple goals because you get loose. It's kind of been the mantra of this Blues team since the All-Star break, and of course last night against the Winnipeg Jets. That's the one to me that really speaks because they were in that hockey game, you know, Winnipeg's up by two early in that second period. And in the back of my mind, I'm watching and I'm going, okay, the Blues are going to come back here. That's when they start their little push. They start to continue to pepper shots on Connor Hellebuck, and then they finally break through for two goals. At that point, I'm thinking, okay, here the Blues come. They tie things up, and then the third period happens. So why is the looseness, Joe? Well, I think, it again, it just comes down to these players being exhausted, Alex. I think that putting 60 together, putting a – effort together 
with the demand that it calls for to win games for the St. Louis Blues team, it does wear on you after a while. And I think that you are going to find some inconsistent play. The Blues team, they come to the rink every day. They see that their team's on top of the Western Conference. You know, a lot of times it is, what are we playing for? And I think that can be tough. Last year, they didn't have the opportunity to sit back. They didn't have the opportunity to play an inconsistent game because every point mattered. Now they're in a completely different situation where this group has not really familiar with is the sense that they're on top of the Western Conference now. So finding that why, why are we doing this? What are we doing this for before playoff time? That That's a question that increases that motivation. I think right now the Blues are kind of searching for that why. Meanwhile, they're exhausted. They've played a ton of hockey over the last year and a half. And uh, it's kind of that winter Blues kind of time. Again, I remember this as a player, it is kind of a uh, depressing time at mm-hmm. times when you are a player and your body and your mind and your emotions just completely worn out. You're dealing with a lot of travel. And, um, you know, the trade deadline is certainly a stress factor as well. So this is a few weeks that I think that the Blues are just going to have to get through. Uh, but when I look to March, again, what the players always say, just get to March. When March hits, I do believe this Blues will find that consistent game. And that's going to be important, you know, because a coach once told me, you know, to a room, and it's very true, you can't hide a cavity. It's very important for the Blues to figure out consistent play before the playoffs. Playoffs, we've always seen. It's not a switch you just turn on come April 7th or 8th, whenever playoffs are starting this year. This is something where you have to be building your game heading into playoffs. And it's no different like, the you know, finding the cavity, you know. It's kind of a funny metaphor, but... You know, if you don't brush your teeth for six months and then you realize you got a dentist appointment, then you go floss and brush your teeth for two days straight. You know, cavities are going to find themselves. They're going to be hiding underneath, and that's just the way it is. And you got to find that consistency heading into playoffs. You got to have that routine of flossing and brushing your teeth every day if you want a good report. And playoff hockey is no different. It's not a flip. It's not a switch, or rather. The Blues have to figure out some way in that near future to find that consistent play because when the playoffs hit, you want to hit that ground running. Just hearing you talk about that, Joe, you you must be. Like a daily flosser. You know what? I actually do. I read a report about flossing about seven or eight years ago. Apparently, if you floss, it adds like years to your life. Really? I swear because so many diseases and like bacteria and germs collect in your mouth that trans through your body, obviously, because you're swallowing. Right. So if you keep a clean mouth, you're going to keep a lot of uh, clean bacteria and good things through your body. Vice versa, if you don't floss, you're going to be putting a lot of bad stuff in your body. And I, apparently, it, like, it, it relates to like cardiovascular disease, uh, lots of different diseases, apparently. So I was like, whew, so I'm like, becoming a good like flosser. You're like WebMD, and now you're stressing me out. I need to go floss more. you got to floss every day. I do floss every day. You should floss do every you floss day. Like four, are you one of those flo- like four times a day flosser? You know, I floss in the morning mostly, always floss at night, because you think about it, you're sleeping oh, yeah. for ten hours. You got to, you got to floss disgusting. out. And I, you know, I, it sounds disgusting, but I keep flossing my car. Do you? I, I'm in traffic. I'll just floss. So the real question here: Do you use the the string floss, or do you use one of those um, those little handheld flossers that just you know you push up in there and you can throw it away? A great question. I like where your head's at. I use the string floss in my bathroom, but then I have in the car. You know, you need you need. I got one hand on the wheel, people. I'm yeah. safe out there. So one hand on the wheel. So I got the little picks with like the little like half inch kind of floss thing. I just my pop man. in, pop out. Because safety first. You know what's even better? Not having seven teeth and you don't even need to floss. <laughs> you just put a toothbrush there and. Saves the day with it. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Plenty more hockey talk. Maybe not as many dental floss talk, but we're going to have a lot of fun tonight here for two hours on This Week in Hockey. Coming up next, Alexander Steen had a really cool moment last night at Enterprise being honored for playing in 1,000 games in the NHL. And he had an even cooler night this past Saturday where he was in Winnipeg, his hometown, and his dad saw him play in his 1,000th NHL game. Well, his dad, Thomas Steen, the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame, 
Kramer is going to join us next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey here on a Friday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues in action tomorrow night against the Dallas Stars. Last night, a cool moment watching Alexander Steen uh, receive the silver stick, a Rolex. Boy, he just received everything, Joe, for, a lot of hardware. for playing in 1,000 games in the NHL. And we thought, who better to talk to to talk about that career achievement than the former Winnipeg Jet, the former NHLer, and Alexander Steen's father, Thomas Steen. Thomas it is great to talk with you tonight, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm enjoying all this. <laughs> Thomas, did you get a Rolex when you played your 1,000th? No. <laughs> Not even close, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, that just means Alex has to let you borrow his then, right? <laughs> no. I don't think I'll get to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, just uh, just give our listeners an idea. What was that like this past Saturday of being in Winnipeg? You know, Alex has told us the story of how it just was weird how this worked out. You win tickets from a charity golf tournament and find out that Alex's game, his 1,000th game, is being played on Saturday. What was that like for you sitting in the front row watching your son uh, be honored that way? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like a little much for me. <laughs> I sat right behind the glass, behind the bench, and, and uh, uh, I felt a little awkward being that close <laughs> to the bench. <laughs> I know most of the players, and uh, yeah, it made me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, what was what was Alex like as a kid? Was he a kid who got into trouble? Was he always into sports? I mean, well, if you could sum up his personality and his youth, what would you say? No, he was always a great kid. And I think ever since I can remember, he always, hockey came like pretty well first. <laughs> he, he's been playing hockey so much since he was a little kid. And, and, uh, yeah, so he kept it going for all these years and been pretty consistent. Well, and he told the story, Thomas, the other day just about when he was younger and he, he would always uh, be up super early before anybody else and he'd have his, his gear, he'd have his stick and his hockey pucks and he'd be wanting just to get outside and play hockey. It just kind of goes to show you the love of the game that uh, Alex had when he was younger, doesn't it? Yeah, it, you could tell early that he just loved the game a little more than all the other kids. <laughs> so he was up watching the highlights from the night before at TSN before he went to school. <laughs> so he was he would tell me about all the highlights of what's going on. <laughs> Thomas, was there a was there a moment as a father where you saw Alex growing up, or maybe in youth hockey or junior hockey, where where you thought, "Wow, my son, this kid." He maybe is good enough to play in the league that I'm in, the National Hockey League. No, I I never really thought of it that way. He was always trying to make the next level. So, so and he seemed to excel all the time when he got the chance to move up. And and uh, it wasn't until he started playing in Toronto when he's playing exhibition games in front of twenty thousand people that you can sort of tell if it's going to stick or not because there's a lot of great players that quite not make it. And so making the NHL, it's a, it's a big step from even American League. So, 
So it's you can never be sure because I worked in hockey and I've been around it so much. I know how fragile it is when you get to that level. Well, Thomas, you, you just spoke about how a lot of good players don't make it. Um, for Alex, uh, as we all see in the National Hockey League, sometimes there's just a lot of mental or intangibles or things that personalities that are why certain kids end up making it. If there was a personality trait or some characteristic about your son to help him make that leap to make it to the National Hockey League, what would you say it was? Well, I, I think he, he, he always had that confidence in himself that he could do it. So he, so he never got shy when it got tough. He was always good when it was tough games. He was better those games than a regular season game. <laughs> so you could always tell that some players they shy away when it gets tougher. And um, but he was always the one that he loved playing when it got like when it was a tight game and a very important game. So. That was a kind of an indicator that, like he, he really loved this hockey just as much as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you played your entire career, Thomas, in Winnipeg, and obviously uh, over 900 games spent in the NHL. What was that like as a father when you see your son get drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, probably one of the biggest hockey markets in all of Canada? Uh, you see your son go to Toronto and you know at that moment that it's like, okay, he's an NHLer. Yeah, well, he didn't quite make it yet, but he, it was like a very proud moment that uh, well, I didn't realize at that time, but it's now I can say I, I got to live it one more time <laughs> without having to <laughs> all the bruises and stuff. <laughs> So it's been a, yeah, it's been just great following him over all these games and and everything that comes with it. It's been a, just a great journey and the best part, absolutely best part was last spring. That was overwhelming and I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't even imagine how good it was, even though I was been in hockey that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about that celebration. Uh, obviously, as as a player, we all that's the ultimate goal. But I would imagine, or I could only hope to imagine that to have your son experience that ultimate trophy must have been second best. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed it more than when I was playing myself. I think <laughs> I could just take it all in and and see all the everybody's stories come together, kind of thing. It was just an amazing, uh, yeah, two months of just. It's such a hard thing to win. <laughs> so it was a uh, yeah, it was so many good moments. Did you ever think that you'd see the city of St. Louis party as hard as it did when they won that Stanley Cup, Thomas? <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> but it was in a good way. It was like it was all—it was just 
pure joy. <laughs> right. Hey, Thomas, I got one more question for you, and we appreciate you taking some time out tonight. Uh, you know, it's talked so much about Alexander Steen's leadership quality here in St. Louis. You know, from the moment that he stepped into the locker room, he kind of grew into the core group of this Blues team from the time he was here all the way up until them winning a Stanley Cup. And then now, that leadership quality, as a father... Where where does a player learn that from? Does he learn that just over time in the NHL? Does he take that away from kind of his experiences that he spent around hockey growing up? Yeah, I, he's been a very all-around player. He's played defense. He's played wing center. Everything growing up. And he's had tons of good people around him coaching. And there's so many people to thank for for his career kind of thing and uh, you can't do it by yourself there's like a lot of my friends and his friends and it's been a lot of knowledge coming to him from a lot of great hockey people Thomas, I know a lot of players had tributes on the Jumbotron a lot of people a lot of players former teammates of your son have really spoken out about congratulating Alex. And, and to me, the just one thing that just jumps out about every player's tribute to him, they went quickly into what he was as a player, but they spent the majority of the time on what he has meant to all of them as a person, as a leader, as just a great personality. And, I mean, I'm a father myself. I mean, how, how does that make you feel as a father? How proud must you be to see all these players talk not only about your son as a, as a player, but also a person? Yeah, I, I, it's uh, that's the nicest thing I can hear about my son, and it's overwhelming. And he's always had that respect for alumni, and and that he understands that uh, that all the players today didn't build this NHL. There's a lot of history to it that made it what it is today, and. I think he has an understanding of that, that and he gets respect for to say no. He he he's been around for so long and and knows so many people in the league, and it's yeah, it's an overwhelming feeling. And when you hear all these nice comments, it's just warms warms my heart. <laughs> well, Thomas, I'll leave you with this. Uh, throughout all of those video tributes last night on the Jumbotron at Enterprise Center, I think yours got the biggest chuckle for everybody there. Over 18,000 when you said, uh, over 1,000 games, Alex, and I think I only missed 20 of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. I try to watch every game, so I... I have them on my phone, too, so I always find a way. <laughs> Thomas, will we see you next week on the father's trip to Anaheim in Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah I'm joining after I get some celebrations in Winnipeg to do, and then I'll join in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, we'll see you there, then. <laughs> well, that's a perfect trip yeah. for the dads to go on, right? Vegas, Anaheim, mm-hmm. oh. nothing better. Not complaining. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Thomas, thank you so much for taking some time out tonight and hopping on with us. Again, a congratulations to you and the family for Alexander playing in over a 1,000 games in the NHL. It's such a cool accomplishment, and I hope you get to enjoy the rest of this season with them. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm sure they have a great team this year, too, so we'll see what happens. 
Back in on a Friday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you, hanging out here on This Week in Hockey. Blues off this evening. They practiced earlier today. They'll be back on the ice tomorrow night as they wrap up this three-game homestand as they welcome in the Dallas Stars. And we'll talk about the Central Division and really some interesting tidbits coming from it. One, including the team that the Blues just lost to last night, the Winnipeg Jets. But you also have to talk about the Dallas Stars, the Nashville Predators, and the Chicago Blackhawks, who are all making some push right now in the Central Division. But Joe, we had a uh, we had a pretty awesome moment yesterday on the ice for morning skate, where I would feel safe saying that it caught pretty much everybody by storm because number ninety one stepped out onto the ice, and I was at Enterprise early for morning skate, so I was sitting there watching. Bennington's on the ice, Sean Farrell's on the ice, David Alexander's on the ice. And then all of a sudden, a 91 skates out there. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I was expecting him to just sit out on the bench and just kind of watch. But he gets on the ice, and he skates around, and he takes a couple of shots. First things first, I'm really surprised he was out there taking shots because you're three months removed from shoulder surgery. Yeah, and a shoulder surgery that said that they would get a regroup and a update after five months. So we're talking yeah. mid-March. I think the injury happened October 24th. 24th. And okay. 29th was the surgery. 29th was the surgery. So then you're looking at March 29th, right. which is about a week to go in the regular season before an update. I'm not even saying for me back, for an update. And here we are uh, about six weeks ahead of schedule. I'm not saying us ahead of schedule. I don't want to say that. But I would never have guessed. I think if you ask any Blues fans that you will see him on the ice taking shots six weeks before this quote-unquote five-month uh, update, right. I think everyone would be ecstatic. You know, I went to that rink yesterday, Alex, with you, and I stepped into the rink, and it kind of reminded me of the last time I went turkey hunting. You know, <laughs> Okay, please. I, I got to know where you're going with this one. Okay. This is great. So, anyway, turkey, wild turkey, and any turkey hunters out there will tell you, turkeys, their biggest defense mechanism and why they survive is their eyesight. They, some people claim, I don't know who was ever human and a turkey, but apparently turkeys have 20 times the 20 times the better vision of humans. They can pick up everything. That's that's what keeps them alive is their eyesight. So when you go turkey hunting, you know you have to wear all camo, all camoed out. You got to be against a tree that's like the same width as your body, or you stick out like a sore thumb. So they say that these turkeys in the woods. They know their surroundings so well. So whenever something stands out, like a little bulge here or there, they're going to pick up on it. So that's why you'd be super camo and you got to be super still. You can't move. It's a very difficult bird to kill. Sounds so boring, but go ahead. Okay, so here we go. So I come to the rink yesterday. <laughs> that's where I'm going to tie Okay, hockey. so that's where we're going. Okay. I come and I look at the rink and, you know, I've been watching hockey a long time and playing a long time and something stood out. Something was different. Something so- seemed extra. It seemed crowded on the ice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it seemed crowded. Like someone wasn't, someone was out there that shouldn't have been out there. Well, it was a game day morning skate, which is, always seems crowded when you have the full roster on yeah. the ice. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one. But it, there seemed like a little less space out there. I know that right. sounds weird. I'm like, huh. I, I kind of remember thinking, like, that's interesting. And then I did my game day live hit with Darren Pang, of course. And then that's when I find out that 91's on the ice. And it kind of dawned me like, oh, bingo, bingo. <laughs> there it is. So my point is that you know, having him out there uh, certainly made a jolt for a lot of people and uh, obviously a lot of noise around St. Louis. I think people are getting excited right now. I don't think it's something, you know, Alex, between uh, between all of us here listening, I don't think it's something to get too excited about for the near future. I don't think he's going to be back before the trade deadline. I don't even see him back early March. I think we're still looking at end of the regular season playoff right. hockey. You know, Again, that's all wishful thinking. But you know what? Being out there, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly made the joke in the locker room yesterday. He's it been kind of lonely. My stall's been empty, although he's had plenty of room for his stick and his tape. But, nice. But now the equipment's back, sitting next to Ryan O'Reilly. You know, this is a um, 
this is a difficult injury for any player being out this long. And, you know, from Vladimir Tarasenko's standpoint, he's an outsider looking in on this team right now. And it's hard either way. If you're outside looking in, if the team's failing and doing terrible, let's say the Blues were in last place right now. Right. That would be very difficult on Vladimir Tarasenko. Look, look at the flip side. The Blues are in first in the West. Do you think that's still hard? Absolutely that's still hard. He wants to be out there. He wants to be in the fight. He wants to be joining this thing, and he wants to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. either way, it's been very hard for him. The fact that he jumped on the ice yesterday, he's been skating by himself since, I believe, January, 30, January 21st. Excuse me. So it's been a few weeks since he skated by himself. But being out there with the team, being in the locker room, sharing the laughs. I know it sounds crazy. Being in the shower with the guys, you know, that camaraderie, you know, making fun of people who, who can't get the USA Today crossword puzzle word right. I mean, that's what they do in the lounge and they're drinking coffee and watching the news and pulling pranks on each other and just chirping each other. I mean, that kind of involvement uh, can really uh, spur and really help someone's development from a mental and emotional standpoint. So I really love the fact that he's out there. He had kind of a good good smile to his yeah. face yesterday leaving after I gave him some knuckles. So it's great to see number 91 back in blue. Now, can I tell you where I thought you were going with this turkey conversation with Tarasenko? Yeah. Because Vladdy, Vladdy likes to kind of fly under the radar with stuff. Now, he was injured. And, of course, he's on the ice for the first time with his teammate. I was the only one there. And so I'm sitting up in the stands, and Vladdy skates out on the ice. So my job, obviously, as a media member is to put it out there so fans know. So I start to take a little video of it, and Vladdy kind of turned around and looked. I did the turkey hunter style where I stood still. And I was like, well, maybe if I stand like this, he won't see me. He won't notice me. That's what I thought you were going with. But yours makes a lot more sense than mine. Hey, you would have been a great turkey hunter then. I would have. Yeah, don't I would have. Although move. I get really bored, so. Don't blink. Don't yeah. even think I, about I, blinking. I can't do that. You know, Panger said something to me last night on our reporter's notebook on our pregame show, Joe, that I, I thought really popped out was, this is also a Vladdy Tarasenko saying to Doug Armstrong, hey, I'm coming along. I'm getting ready to be able to return. Keep an eye on me. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, the trade deadline's around the corner. Doug Armstrong has got decisions to make. And Vladdy sees the conversations. Believe it or not, he sees the conversations of, oh, do we need to go out and get a top six forward? Do we need to go get somebody who can play offense with the team? He knows that. There are players who play this game, and there are players who are students of this game. Let me tell you a story. After Game 7 last year in the Stanley Cup Final, I'm in the hallway. I'm drenched in champagne. Everyone's having a party. I know. Keep bragging about it. Okay, it was the best time ever. Sorry, you couldn't be a part of it. Um, Ouch. Vladdy comes up to me, and he says, hey, I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. And I was like, and he's never made a compliment like that to me or even like really gone to the extent of breaking down what I've done. And I go, oh, my God, thank you. He's like, no, really. Like I was watching, you know, in game three, you kind of broke down the goal against, and, and you were absolutely right. I remember in the Winnipeg series, like after the game, the recap, you and Panger talked about um, He starts going into details. Like my point is, Vladdy pays attention to things. He's mm-hmm. not just a player like, like I was or a lot of players on this Blues team that just show up, put their equipment on, clock in, clock out, do their job to the best of their ability, they go home. Vladdy is a – a student of the game, and I think maybe, and I know this may sound the wrong way, but maybe because he's a European or he's from Russia, maybe they think that for some reason Russians and Swedes and Finns, they don't maybe the language barrier, they don't maybe don't follow media standpoint right. very, very well, but he does, and he's always on top of things. He understands the game. You know, I, I can see Vladdy even being a player in like management after he's done with his career because oh, yeah. he does think the game and like from a logical standpoint, from a general manager standpoint. So he understands. He sees the storylines. He understands that Doug Armstrong has decisions to make. And you're absolutely right. And Darren Pang's absolutely right. I mean, that to me was a a good pow moment, like saying, "Hey, Doug, 
I know we're a couple weeks away from the deadline, but here I am. I'm skating. I'm shooting. I'm feeling good. And when I get fully he- healthy, I'm going to be your go-to guy again with Jaden Schwartz and, and Braden Shen to, to man this top line. And we're going to go after him. We're going to make another run at the Stanley Cup. And that, to me, was a, a big moment from that side as well. Well, and the other thing, too, Joe, is, and I'm kind of looking at this for the Blues, um, with Vladdy on the ice, and I want you to give your story with this one, if you have a story, but your time in Pittsburgh. When you have a guy who is an elite player in the NHL who's injured for a long amount of time, that does something to everybody else when he steps out onto the ice. And you mentioned it. Ryan O'Reilly was joking around about it. Braden Shen talked about it, saying that it's just nice to see him out there on the ice with us because he's been away for so long. And I'm thinking of a guy like Sidney Crosby yeah. who who dealt with concussions and was out for a long time in a season. But when he steps out onto that ice where the team knows, it's like, okay, He's on his way back, and they see him walking around. They see him at the rink, but he's not on the ice and the equipment taking shots. When they see that, that has to do something different for those players. When Sid had his concussion problems, and this is going back to, I guess, 2013 uh, ish, 2012, 2013, when he got hit, he was out for over a year and yeah. even had a relapse where he was out for another long amount of time. That's basically when I got called up to Pittsburgh because I think Jordan Stahl was down, Sidney Crosby was down. So I stuck up there with the Penguins. Meanwhile, for the first year, Sidney Crosby did not play. Sidney Crosby made his return. I can't think of the exact date. I believe it was in November. I know for a fact we played the New York Islanders, right? There was probably one person in Pittsburgh that morning that was upset that Sidney Crosby was back in the lineup, and that guy was me because I was healthy scratched. Because <laughs> I wanted to be out there. I wanted to right. play with them. I never played with them before. I right. practiced with them. I've seen them in the workout room, but the news broke that morning, and no one knew until that morning. It wasn't like building up weeks. We came to the rink that morning. And I'll never forget the the uh, the lineup chart, and it had 87 on the top line center. Everyone was like, "Whoa!" Like, is Sid back tonight? And all of a sudden, like, it was it. He was back. And of course, 46. I was. Uh, I was gonna say everyone's applauding, and Joe's at a stall, going, "Damn it, back to Wilkesbury!" I was like, "What? You gotta be." <laughs> so I see a 46 in the scratch. I'm like, "Gah!" But anyway, no, I was super happy for him, and the team was. But you know, it's funny uh, after that game as well. Um, he actually had two goals and two assists. We won like five to two. So I think I think the coach made the right decision, but. <laughs> Having a player around is the first step. Right, it's it's the start. I think having Vladdy around, participating in practice, sharing the laughs. Um, this this is a player. I don't need to say this, but he means so much to this right. team. Not only from a playing standpoint, but he he's a fighter. Uh, he was tough as nails throughout that playoff run last year, especially I would say third and fourth rounds where when the game was on the line, he's a gamer. He's a fighter. He wants to be out there. He's got that Michael Jordan effect. Like if we're, we need a goal, put me out there. I want that. I want that yeah. puck. So Vladdy means so much to this team, and having him around, that's step one. There's there's a lot more steps coming up here. There's going to be step two, three, four, and five before he returns, but this is, to me, step one. I'm excited to see his progression, uh, and I'm excited to see uh, where this thing goes, especially when the deadline timing. This is... This is going to be a, a, an interesting uh, play here for Doug Armstrong to see what he does. Because even with Vladdy returning, you can still look at this team and say, boy, if they add another top six winger, that is a scary team. And obviously, look, you don't want to mess up chemistry right now. You don't want to mess with Sanford, who's playing well, with O'Reilly and Perron. And when Vladdy gets back, you would assume he's going to jump up there with Shannon Schwartz. But you think about it, you bring in a top six forward who could slot into one of those two spots and... You know, he finds his way playing with Robert Thomas and Tyler Bozak. That's a that's a scary lineup to consider. And you know Doug Armstrong, he's aggressive. He sees this team. He sees the holes of, you know, they've been a little loose. The offense has come and gone. 
you go out there and you find one move that makes sense and doesn't hurt yourself moving forward, that's a dangerous move for a general for a general manager in terms of other teams that have to deal with them. No, Doug's always going to want to get better. But to me, also, Doug is a very fair general manager where he lets the players dictate it. I remember last year, Alex, coming out, we were in Nashville, and I was with Doug Armstrong, and this is about three or four weeks away from the deadline, and we were just talking deadline, just, you know, small talk. And he said, really, it's up to them. We'll see how this thing goes, and uh, i got a couple of weeks to make a decision, and we'll go from there. And that was it. And what happened was the Blues win in Anaheim before the break, and then they come back from that break, and they went on 10 more games, and they right. won an 11-game streak. And to me, that that's where Doug Armstrong said, okay, we're good. I'm not going to do much. Yeah, you bring in Michael Delzato, that's more of an extra. But he lets, he lets the players dictate what he's going to do. Right. He makes his moves in the offseason, and he thinks the team he puts on the ice come October is a team that can win a cup. Now, if that doesn't go that way and it gets deterred, it gets derailed at some point, then he will add someone. But from this moment forward, I think you look at Doug Armstrong's tenure, he lets the players decide. Two years ago, the Blues slid. He got rid of Paul Stastny. A year ago, the Blues were trending up. He didn't do anything. They went to Stanley Cup. So, again, he's not someone who's just a maniac where he's just going to make a move to make a move. He will let these players decide. A player like Zach Sanford can make a decision. He's been making the decision. Over the last two weeks, he understands that there is a top six role available for this team, and he went out there and he's been owning it. Can can he keep this up? I really hope so. I think if he can be as consistent as he's been over the last two, two and a half weeks, I don't know if Doug Armstrong needs to make a move. And I I think that's what he's thinking right now. We're going to see how Zach Sanford plays this out. So, again, the players will dictate, and a player like Zach Sanford will continue to dictate a decision that I think Doug Armstrong will or will not make come the deadline. Well, it's also going to dictate what the Central Division is doing. And when we come back on This Week in Hockey, we're going to talk about it because one Central Division team made a roster move the other day that really may change the whole outcome of what this playoff picture is going to look like. So Joe and I will talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. Final time this hour here on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you as we jump into a little Central Division look around. And let's start with the team that the Blues just played last night, Joe. Um, An interesting scenario now where, look, they they went into a major transition in the offseason, of course. You know, losing Tyler Myers, trading away Jacob Truba. It it kind of was a, a big change for their defensive unit. But the biggest impact was from Dustin Bufflin, who basically said, I don't know if I want to play hockey right now and he was away from the game didn't come back it was kind of uh, dealing with the injury that he had last year but that has kind of come to a a halting stop this past week where we find out that Dustin Bufflin's contract has been terminated from the Winnipeg Jets which one opens up salary cap space but two it also makes Dustin Bufflin a free agent if he decides to play hockey again yeah and and listen I don't know if he's going to play hockey anymore given everything that's happened this year I'm not going to say that you know he's doing this because he wants somewhere else to play I think there is a settlement to be had I don't think he's going to get all of his money I don't think Winnipeg is going to owe him all his money but I also think that you know I don't think it's he's going to get out scot-free either he had that ankle injury but it was just kind of a weird drama of events like where he doesn't show up to camp he said he may not want to play anymore but then he comes back and then says he has an ankle injury and then he gets surgery. We don't know. We don't know what's going on in Buff, Duffs and Bufflin's body. We certainly don't know what's going on in his head. Now, he had a concussion last year, so I'm, I'm more particularly probably very sensitive to these issues where I would rather never go down that road of what's going on in a player. Why would he quit the game? I, I remember it. I know a lot of players that have been through certain situations like that, and some sometimes times just get very dark. I'll just put it like that way. Well, I, I will say one thing, though, Alex, about this. You know, Dustin Bufflin is making $7.6 million. Yeah. I, I look at it from the, the standpoint of all the other players in that locker room. 
you're looking at Patrick Line, who actually spoke about this, I think, last week. He yeah. said something on the lines that, well, if, if he's not going to play, I wish we would know. That way we could maybe get a little extra help before, before the season's over because we want to win games. And you know what? He's absolutely right. This is a Winnipeg Jets team that is kind of um, restricted right now because $7.6 million of their cap is being tied up with a player that hasn't played all year. Right. And this is a team that right now, I mean, believe it or not, as, as much as they've struggled in the second half, they're three points out of a playoff spot. I mean, they're three points out of a playoff spot. No, excuse me. They're one point out yeah, of a playoff one point. spot. Excuse me. Um, yeah, one point. They got 59, and the Calgary Flames that sit in that second wild card have 60 points. They're one point, one point back. Now, for the Winnipeg Jets, they would love to get some help on the back end. They need help they on the need back help, end. They need help, yeah. They need a defender. And right now, they don't really have that flexibility because there's so much money tied up with the Dustin Bufflin. I don't think... They're going to go out and get a rental because of how the team's playing this year. But I think if there's a if there's, if there's a defender out there with some sort of term left that's a good, solid defender that can help this team win, you know, Paul Maurice would love to go out and grab someone. But right now, it, it is kind of tough. So I do think this will get settled and figured out before the deadline, so the Winnipeg Jets can kind of figure it out. But again, uh, if I'm Blake Wheeler, if I'm Mark Shifley, I'm like, dude, what's the old expression? Either you know crap or get off the pot right. like, we got to figure this thing out like we gotta we want to win I, I'll, I'll do respect to you and your mental health or whatever's going on with you we, again we don't know that but you're kind of you're kind of restricting our team right now we got we got we got to move forward well and this is the part too that that surprises me with bufflin because and even blake wheeler who said he's really good friends with them and i played it in our intermission last night basically talking about like yes you know i care about dustin bufflin and whatever he decides to do but we're focused on our season right now and they're the Winnipeg Jets were in a very intriguing situation because they lost Myers, they lost Truba, they lost Bufflin. That was a core piece of their their view as a Stanley Cup favorite. You lose those pieces, but yet you still have Line, you still have Wheeler, you still have Shifley, you still have Ehlers, you still have Hellebuck. They have a team that can win a Stanley Cup, that mm-hmm. can be in that conversation, but they got a very young defensive unit. So that's mm-hmm. why... Winnipeg, to me, is at these crossroads now where you're not so much trying to transition from an older group. You have a younger core, but you have to have some some veteran leadership on that blue line that you had in Bufflin, Truba, and Myers. Alex, I think that the, the Winnipeg Jets are a, they're one defenseman away from capable of making a big splash this year in the playoffs. Again, yeah. like you just mentioned, Connor Hellebuck is playing Hell of a hockey right now. He's that's exactly. I used that pun last night. How do I do that? Hell of a hockey. Hell of a hockey. He's a hell of a hockey player. He's a hell, hell of a goalie. Anyway, he's playing. He's playing nails. This forward group. I'm, I'm telling you, it's kind of under the radar. But this forward depth for the Winnipeg Jets, it did not change much from last year. And again, we looked at them last night, and that third line just took over with Roslevic, Cop, um, Harkins again. Well, think that they're without all these players. Lowry, Little. Exactly. Um, I was just going, Perot is out, Perot's out, yes. You know, Brian Little is such an impact on that second line. Adam Lowry, I think if... if um, Alexander Steen's the heart and soul of the Blues. I think Adam Lowry would be considered the heart and soul of that Winnipeg. He's a St. Louis guy, isn't he? Oh yeah, he was born here. His dad played for the Blues, but you know he's that third, fourth line guy that had such an impact in that first round last year against the Blues. So you're missing two forwards again. From a forward standpoint, when they get healthy, although Brian Little, I don't know how long he's gonna be out. He, he took a shot off the ear. He's yeah, he's been skating with the team because he was skating in Winnipeg before they flew to St. Louis. So he's ma- he along with Lowry and Perot are making progress back. Yeah, and I, what I heard from Brian Little, or at least the word out in Winnipeg when we were there last weekend, he took a shot off the ear. He, <laughs> he punctured his eardrum, 
And so his hearing's still a little bit of a loss, but the biggest thing right there is he's got vertigo. So obviously in hockey, you don't want to play with vertigo because your balance is kind of important. Right. So that's what he's dealing with right now. But let's assume that Brian Little and Adam Lowry get back. I mean, we're looking at one of the best forward lineups, I think, in the National Hockey League. you got a great goaltender. Again, they are one defensive piece away from being a really, really good hockey team that could really make a splash. Again, one point out of a wild card spot. If this Dustin Bufflin thing gets settled, that frees up nearly $8 million where they can go out and they can go grab someone. And, I mean, we saw what happened last year with the Blues. I mean, anything can happen at this point. Well, and the Central Division is so intriguing right now. Beyond the Winnipeg Jets, you know, you have the Blackhawks who are two points away from being in a playoff position mm-hmm. to a team that you know nobody thought was going to make a push this year, thought that they were going to have to sell pieces off, and they've been without Brent Seabrook all season, and I think they're going to be without him all season. But then you also have the Nashville Predators, who are one point out of a playoff spot, and Nashville, with that decision to fire Peter Laviolette, we both thought that, ooh, Nashville's done. Nashville's going to start trading some pieces off. But now they're making a push. And then, of course, you got Dallas and Colorado. The Central Division could be looking at five teams once again in the playoffs at the end of the season. Well, and the scariest thing about Nashville is they have games in hand on basically everybody. Right. I mean, they have two games in hand on the Blues. But look at the Arizona Coyotes who sit atop that wild card spot. They have three games in hand, and they are only three points back of that. You know what I mean? So, to me... You look at the Nashville Predators with all these games in hand, much like the Colorado Avalanche right now. I mean, those are two teams that are going to start making some hay. I, I am a John Hines fan. He had me in the minors. I think he's he's got a perfect um, dictator-slash-players-coach balance that really works well for guys. Guys really appreciate it. They're starting to win now. Now they're starting to develop that winning culture, and I think that's going to be contagious because he has great systems in play. And when you start winning, when you start getting that save, that's when everyone's like, all right, all right, let's go. Hop on. We're going Going. We're on the train in the right direction. Everyone, let's go together. So I I made a, made a wager. I, I don't bet. I don't go to Vegas, of course. But I made a small wager with a particular broadcaster here with the Blues. And this was going back about three weeks ago. I saw all the games in hand with Nashville. I liked the coaching change in Nashville. And I told him that I think Nashville Predators are going to make the playoffs. And that's when they were about maybe seven or eight or nine points out of a wild card spot. And and here they come. And and boy, I wouldn't. I, I couldn't wish for a better location for the first round. The Blues end up winning this division and facing Nashville Predators. Wouldn't that be great? Can I throw it out there? Can Vegas happen, please? I know. I'm, I'm going to find a way to go on that trip and be covering that team on the road for Vegas just because I went out there for that one road trip. Well, the Blues do have – they play two more times against the Nashville Predators. They play Minnesota two more times. They play Colorado one more time. And I believe they play Chicago two more times. So they got some Central Division games that they play. Actually, I think they play Chicago three more times. So you're going to be seeing more Central Division for the rest of the season. And the last game of the season, Alex, that could be a big one. It's at Colorado. That's going to be at Colorado. How about the last two? Uh, what's the second Boston one? home. Colorado on the road. That's what I mean. I'm telling you, this Colorado, remember a couple years ago, the yep. Blues go to Colorado, they need, One point. they need a point, and they don't get it, and they miss the playoffs. And this year could be something different. Maybe we're looking at a Central Division title on the line, last game of the season. That could be that could be fireworks. That could be more meaningful than missing out on the playoffs of playing in that first round, because not only do you want home ice, but I've said this before, you want Colorado and Dallas to play each other in that first round. Or whoever, how that however that works out, I think you want Colorado playing some 
somebody else in that first round to kind of spank each other around so you get a fatigued second-round Colorado Avalanche. And who knows? I mean, maybe that game, the deciding factor of that game, whoever wins or loses, let's say the Blues lose. and Maybe they have end up playing Colorado. Maybe they, both teams fall in that 2-3 spot. Yeah. Let's say Dallas takes over or something. I mean, you never know how it's going to pan out, but we could be looking at playing Colorado the final game of the regular season, and we could be seeing them for seven straight after that as well. I mean, I'm not complaining. That would be... An awesome first-round series. Yeah, I love Denver. Yeah. A little smoky. Do you? A little smoky? Because of the mountains. Oh, yeah, smoky of course. Mountains. That's the only reason that they're smoky. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with the second hour of This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you here on a Friday night. How about this one for you, Joe? A happy birthday to Mama Ferrario. Mama Ferrario? N- number 60, the big 6-0 tomorrow. You know who she shares a birthday with? Who? Ryan O'Reilly. Get out of here. I think he turns 29 today. Oh, my God. Yeah. Go I may, on. Tell me about, I, I tell may, me about Mama Ferrari. What's Mama Ferrari so, like? So what do you think Mama Ferrario wants to do? I, I'm saying Mama Ferrari, and it sounds like she's from the South or something. <laughs> uh, what do you think she likes to do on her birthday? Eat pasta meatballs? Well, that's for sure one thing. We're already going to the hill tomorrow night to get some. Oh, really? We guys going on the hill? Favazas, baby. Oh, baby. oh yeah. Give me some. Uh, give me some of that salad and bread from Favazas. But then on top of it, we're like, okay, what do you want to do tonight? So she doesn't want to do. Well, not tonight. Tomorrow night. She wants to do something else, um, something different. Because we always go to the casino because my family loves the slots. Okay, slots. I said slots with an O. With an O. Yes, thank you. So we're like, well, what do you want to do? She goes, let's go play bingo. I said, mom, why don't you? Bust out your ARP card if we're going to play bingo. Yeah. But there's some high rollers at bingo. Do you guys ever play King's Corner? Oh, my God. I played King's Corner all the time. That is a great card game to play with your mom. You should do that tomorrow night. <laughs> mom, we're going to play King's Corner tomorrow night. And How's that for you? You should ask Ryan O'Reilly on a game. On a game. Well, I guess it's... Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow Ryan, night. Ryan O'Reilly can come. He can come, oh too. Oh, my gosh. Ryan, would you like to go eat pasta and meatballs and play Kings in the Corner with my mom? I can't think of a better way Ryan O'Reilly would love to spend his birthday. Maybe that should be a cup of joe with Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan, did you know you share a birthday with Alex Ferrario's mom? (laughs) She'd like you to come play Kings in the Corner with her. Oh, boy. That's an awkward interview. He's actually so nice, he probably would say yeah. He probably would, wouldn't he? He'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. No, but honestly, a happy birthday to to my mom turning the big 60 tomorrow night, so I had to put that in here. Uh, And I just found out that Ryan O'Reilly's birthday is close by. I think it's today, actually. So so one and one, that's good enough. We'll do a dual birthday celebration. How's that? My bad. (laughs) Well, how about this? There should be a a celebration right now for Alex Ovechkin, and we've talked about this on the show the last couple of weeks, but this dude is just continuing to go on a tear. So here are some numbers going into last night's game. He had 14 goals in the last seven games, three hat tricks in his last six games. Mm -hmm. Three freaking hat tricks in six games for Alex Ovechkin. He's already above 40 goals. He's overtaken David Pasternak for most goals in the NHL. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think that's changed. And on top of it, the dude is over 30. What is he, like 34 right now? Yeah, he's old. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's something. I mean, he's two away from 700, uh, which is an incredible milestone in itself. And and then from that point on, he's got 194 left to get Wayne Gretzky. You ask Alex Govestian, he wants it. He wants to go after oh, it. You know he wants he's it. He's made comments that he just has to stay healthy. And what's even cooler, I think, is that Wayne Gretzky, when asked about it, he said, I would love to see Alex take it over as well. I mean, uh, Wayne Gretzky, I did a sit-down with him during the All-Star break, and, and he talked a lot about— No big deal. No big deal. He talked about his— 
moment when he was inching closer to all the milestones that Gordy Gordy Howe had set before him. And he said he felt uh, a lot of pressure and he felt guilty taking over those because really? I think he has such just a respect for Gordy Howe. He had such a respect for the game of hockey. And like Alexander Steen and Dad were talking about, you know, Alex has such a respect for everyone that's come before him. But uh, so 99, just hearing him that he would love to see Ovi take it over, uh, pretty spectacular, Alex. This is what this is what gets me, uh, you know, after looking at some of these numbers and you compare these players. Wayne Gretzky, from the age of 30 to 38, so when he turned 30 until he retired at 38, he averaged 24 goals per game, okay? Mm-hmm. So in his 30s, he averaged 24 goals per game. Ovi, since he was 30, he's been averaging 46 goals per game. And it's unreal. To me, that is why he could do this. He is not slowing down. I mean, he's almost doubled the production of Wayne Gretzky from a scoring standpoint in his 30s. With him not slowing down, with Nicholas Backstrom getting signed to a new five-year deal, so that's going to be his winger, one of the best passers in the National Hockey League. If he can stay healthy, there is no reason why I don't think he takes takes this record. So what does that do when you call it a career, let, let's say hypothetically Ovechkin overtakes Wayne Gretzky mm-hmm. in goals scored. And let's say it's not just by one. Let's say it's by 50. This guy just continues to go on a, ter- a torrid pace until he calls it a career. Wayne Gretzky will always be always be the best player to ever play in the NHL. But does, Wayne, or, uh, does Alex Ovechkin become second? Does he become third? Or is he just labeled as the best pure goal scorer in the NHL? I think that's how you have to label it. I, I think that for Wayne Gretzky, and I think if you ask Alex Ovechkin if he would only be compared and say, are you now the greatest hockey player of all time? I think he would have such a respect for Wayne Gretzky where he'd be like, absolutely not. Nobody will ever overtake no, that. No, right. that's his title. He's the greatest of all time, and, and it should stay that way. I don't think you could just call Alex the second or the third or the fourth. I don't think you even go down that road. I think Wayne would always be considered the greatest hockey player of all time. If Alex Ovechkin takes this record, which again, I think he can, I think he will be labeled as the greatest goal scorer of all time. I think they're two separate categories, and I think that's how at least how I would like to see it yeah. uh, moving forward. And, but you know, another thing that just jumps out at me uh, from hearing about this and, and the greatest goal scorer of all time, if it does become Ovi, I mean, from a goaltender standpoint, goaltending has that position has improved so much over the last 20, 30 years compared to when Wayne Gretzky was in this league. I mean, you look at some of the highlights on Wayne Gretzky on YouTube. These goalies are like 14 feet outside their crease. They're swimming around. Their pads are like the, the, the size of my thigh. I saw one the other day where a goalie was just just side skating out of the net to the left and Gretzky just lobs it to the right in an open net. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, if that happened in today's game, that goalie would be sent down not to the A, to the coast. Like, you're going oh, down yeah. to the East Coast League, you figure out what you need to figure out, don't you ever do that again or you'll never play hockey anymore. I mean, these are the goalies that Wayne was shooting on, and no disrespect, but the goaltending position has improved drastically and not only from a from an angle standpoint, a coaching standpoint, a learn I mean, it's a learned art now. But the equipment has gotten so much bigger as well. I mean, to me, that's what makes this record even more amazing if Alice Ovechkin t- can take it over because he has faced some unreal goaltending. If he were to play in Gretzky's time or maybe a little after, like let's say he were to play 10 years earlier than when he started, 
would he already be past Wayne Gretzky? You know, I don't know because then there's the other flip side. The other argument is, well, Obi also has this stick that's made out of this composite material that has a wicked curve. And, you know, uh, back in the old days, people use a flat stick. So, I mean, you can, you can use a technology argument either way. Right. But, you know... Uh, I don't know, man. He he dropped, I think, like 20, mid-20 goals the year before they won the Stanley Cup. Everyone was questioning his conditioning. He went into that summer. He looked much bigger, much stronger heading into that next season. Of course, he went on a tear that year, and they win the Stanley Cup. Alex Ovechkin, um, there's really nothing stopping him. The interesting kind of not, – I'm not going to say – I'm not going to call it a hiccup, Alex, but after this season – he has one more year left on his deal. So his his contract expires after next season. Okay, he's making 9.5 right now. Oh my god. I don't I mean obviously he's going to be a UFA, but I uh, and I don't think the Capitals can negotiate a new contract well, with them Backstrom, until July. Maybe Backstrom can negotiate his next contract. Well, you know, it's funny uh, Brian McClellan, the the GM for the Washington Capitals said that he goes I just hope that, you know, Nicholas Backstrom doesn't, you know, negotiate his next contract. But uh July of 2020, so this July is when they can start that starts a talk mm-hmm. for the extension, and I don't think Alex Ovechkin's going anywhere. No. I think, I mean, listen, he wants to play with Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, he wants to retire a Capital, the greatest Capital of all time. So it's not that I don't think he's going anywhere, but I mean that that's an interesting contract discussion. Uh, he will be, I believe, around thirty-five, I guess, at the end of that contract, which puts him at five more years till forty. Yeah. So I don't think it's, we're looking at like a seven, eight, ten-year deal, of course, but I can see a good five, six-year deal coming for him uh, at around that range again. You know what? It's insane. I mean, the best year he had was 65 goals, which to me that sounds insane to even say that somebody could have 65 goals in this day and age. But he has never really dropped off. I mean, the most, the least he's had in a season was 32, and he did that twice. Now, the one year was the year that you mentioned where he kind of had to reassess in the offseason himself. But the other year, he had 32, but that was in that half season where he played only 48 games. So he scored 32 goals in 48 games. Yeah, and you know what, Alex? This guy is just a beast. Yeah. Like, he's not one of those just, like, goal scorers. He's not like a Patrick Line type. He's not like a—I'm not going to say David Pasternak because he he can compete. But Alex Ovechkin— he doesn't just like line up on the blue line or the power play spot and just hit and find a soft area in the high slot, get a good pass and hit. Like he he's a go getter, man. Like he's a feisty, he's an intimidating player against. He's so big. Even when he doesn't even know you're there, he'll hit you and he'll run you over. He's so giant. But he gets to the hard areas. He scores goals from everywhere. He scores them from that power play spot. He scores uh, three, third, fourth chance rebounds in front. He'll get it from the high slot. He'll shoot it from behind the net. He's got those crazy acrobatic gymnastic style goals where he's on his back and somehow they end up. Yep. He scores goals every single way, but he's a he, he's a competitor. Every player that's played with him always speaks so volumes about how hard he competes. And again, uh, you almost wonder if he competes that hard into his late 30s, will he stay as healthy? But uh, it certainly has been working for him up to this point because, again, since the age of 30, he's still averaging 46 goals per season, which is insane. It really is. So 698 goals for Alex Ovechkin, two away from 700, and I believe they play this evening, so he could overtake that uh, tonight. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a dumpster fire right now in Buffalo. Joe and I will talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, another loss in Buffalo. A lot of long faces on that team. Uh, Craig, has this team finally reached the boiling point? 
I think absolutely they have Natasha. And you consider Jack Eichel, the captain, spoke out a few games ago and was very critical of the atmosphere and the attitude in Buffalo and with the Sabres. And now Sam Reinhart comes out. But let's go back a little while in time. And Ryan O'Reilly, when he played there at the end of the season, there it is right there. We're stuck in the mindset of just being okay with losing. That's exactly where the Buffalo Sabres are. It's the absolute worst place to be. And when Ryan O'Reilly said it and put it out there for everybody to say, guess where it got him? It got him to the Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, where he won the Conn Smythe Trophy. You know, when Ryan O'Reilly made that comment, what he should have been was celebrated, not traded. And now the situation in Buffalo with the Sabres is one where it's dismal and it's not only unacceptable, this has become a long pattern, and we've heard a lot of criticism going on about the Buffalo Sabres. Until they change their culture, until they accept that they are a losing culture and a losing mentality, they're going to continue to lose. Because the people that care are the ones that got traded, and obviously they're not going to trade Jack Eichel or Sam Reinhart, but they got a lot of work to to change the situation that they find themselves in. It's one that's gone on far too long. Well, that escalated quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I gave me goosebumps. Craig Button just bringing the heat right now from TSN the other night talking about, obviously, the Buffalo Sabres. And Joe, this has been an ongoing problem goes back to when Ryan Miller left the Buffalo Sabres, and that was when the Blues acquired him. But from that point, the Buffalo Sabres have been in this rebuild mode. And this year, kind of like what last year was, you looked at the team and you're like, Okay, they can compete. You go out there and you get Rasmus Dahlin, who's a top three pick. I believe he was the first overall or second overall pick by the Buffalo Sabres. You have Jack Eichel, who's a huge generational player, but you still can't get it done. Yeah. And right now, fans are getting really ticked off. Well, and it's a shame, too, because Buffalo's got some amazing fans. I mean, you look at a TV standpoint, Alex, I'm, I'm not got my facts in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that from a TV's rating standpoint, the Buffalo Sabres are near the top, if not the top, you know, because they're so close to Canada, but they get incredible ratings. They have incredible fan base up there, and it, it, they're right. I mean, he is right. Craig Button has said it best. I mean, it's been a losing culture. It's been a losing culture for a while. The fans deserve so much better. They end up getting Jack Eichel, but again, just the pieces around him. I I, I didn't like that Jeff Skinner contract. I, I've never been the biggest fan of Jeff. I think he's a good player. I think what he signed him for, the extension he got, was a little bit of an overpayment, but there, there's been some issues there. I mean, look at all the coaching changes between Phil Housley. I mean, there's been different coaches almost every year. Dan Bilesma couldn't get it done there as well. There's no consistency. Uh, but what he said to me, I guess more, more applies to what the Blues um, really care about, were just Ryan O'Reilly's comments. I mean, the fact, I think he put that beautifully, actually, when Ryan O'Reilly spoke up after his last season in Buffalo, how it's a losing culture, and we just kind of look around and we're just okay with losing. We're okay with long summers. We're okay with the season being done in April and everyone going to the Bahamas or, or Jamaica and kind of enjoying their offseason. Ryan O'Reilly gets traded for those comments, and I think what he said was actually great. He should have been celebrated because – this is a winner, and this is someone who is not okay with losing. This is someone who called it exactly the way it was, hoping for change. And what happened, he ended up getting traded, which is probably the greatest thing for the St. Louis Blues franchise in the history of all right. trades because, of course, he goes on to that dominant performance last year, winning the Conn Smythe and being the Blues' most valuable player and winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. But 
you know, I've been around a lot of teams, and I've certainly seen winning cultures, and I've seen losing cultures. And as much as winning is contagious, losing is certainly um, addicting as well. And I think that is just something that the Buffalo Sabers are dealing with. I think it's a long process. I think Jason Botterill, the GM there, has got his work cut out for him as far as building more pieces around Buffalo. But I mean, Alex, I don't know if you've ever been about Buffalo. No, I haven't. I, I mean, it's a lot like Winnipeg. No disrespect, but it, it's it's a tough city. And what yeah. I mean by that is this. To get players to come to Buffalo, it's going to take an overpayment. You're going to have to pay them more to settle in Buffalo versus, let's say, in Nashville. Like Matthew Shane, I'm sure Buffalo was knocking on his door last offseason, but he ended up going to Nashville. Nashville is a lot better place to live for his family. Right. Uh, music City, he's into music. Lots of more options. The, the weather is better. The people are kinder, in my opinion, not as abrasive as they are up the East Coast. It's going to take more money to bring superstars to Buffalo. That's just the way it is. But, you know, if there is one superstar that I think can turn that franchise around, I don't think it ever would happen. But how how about the hometown hero of Patrick Kane? If he ends up going back to Buffalo, (laughs) Chicago releases him from that contract. I mean, let's just say, in hindsight, the, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks miss this year. They're in worse shape next year. Could you free up Patrick Kane for like 14 first-round picks over look the next at, 14 look at years? you living in conspiracy <laughs> theory world. I love but it. But you know what? Uh, Patrick Kane would be one of those superstars that would go back home. And I think, end his career and there. And end his career in Buffalo. So I, I right. think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take someone. I, Buffalo needs someone. They need something to really spice it up. Like they need to get a superstar. They got to get someone just to kind of like jolt that franchise and kind of instill a little bit more belief. At least, at least just add some excitement. Right. Again, you know, cuz there just there hasn't been any excitement there. I mean, it's just it's so blah all the time. <laughs> so I think that a, a Patrick Kane that'd be kind of a cool. Yeah, conspiracy theory. God, look at that. you living in this world. Well, so so this is where it gets really depressing. So they have a 1.1 chance to make the playoffs this year. And this was before that they lost to the Detroit Red Wings last night, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if they miss out this year, it's the ninth consecutive year that they've missed the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You think about Jack Eichel, who was a top pick. Rasmus Dahlin, who was a top pick. The free agents that they brought in, Kyle Ocposo, who they overpaid to get to come there. Yep. Jeff Skinner, who they overpaid to keep there, who's dealt with injuries. You also have Zach Bogosian, who is saying that he wants out. He, wants he out. was signed there. On top of that, let me take you back to February of 2011, when Terry and Kim Pagula, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, basically the ownership group, the people that took over, Stated in the press conference, starting today, the Buffalo Sabres' reason for existence will be to win a Stanley Cup. Mm. So from 2011 on, their reason for existence is to win a Stanley Cup. You've gone through coaches. It hasn't worked. You've gone through goaltenders. It hasn't worked. You've gone through GMs. It hasn't worked. At what point do you look at this? Because to be honest with you, Joe, the Ottawa Senators have a clearer path to a Stanley Cup right now than Buffalo does. Mm -hmm. And that's saying something for a team that general manager felt like it was a dumpster fire. They were dealing with, what was it? It was cyberbullying from the girlfriend of a former player. Their best player wanted out. Hoffman. Their best player wanted out. They had sexual misconduct cases going on. They had a lot to deal with. They have a clearer path 
with one player, with Brady Kachuk. Yeah. They have a clearer path to a Stanley Cup than the Buffalo Sabres do. Oh, my God. They got some young talent, and they have draft picks coming. I mean, you're right. Ottawa Senators, this time last year, I think were even more shambles because you get up that Duchesne deal. They give up that first round and that whole deal, which was just complete mess. But you know what? You look at there's some upswing, and there's some definitely some positivity coming out of Ottawa right now. You know, I just think that uh, for, for the Buffalo Sabres, again, I just I think they're kind of one of those teams in between where they kind of want to go after after a title this year, but they don't really have all the pieces, but they got the skill of Skinner and Reinhardt and Jack Eichel, so they, they have pieces in place for a window to be open, but they just don't have the depth quite there, and I don't think they're necessarily in rebuild mode either. Just Again, Jason Bottle's got his, his hands tied. I think he's got his hands full right now, and I like the coach there. I think the coach has been doing a good job. He's got the respect to the players, but it, again, it is a, a losing culture there that has just been so contagious, and it's so deflating, and as soon as they get scored on, you just see the whole bench just com- just continue just to just I feel depressed about themselves and the fans are just exhausted by it and sick about it. I, I I appreciate the comments from everyone last night because you're right, it is exhausting. Right. Well, and this is the part. This is from Greg Wyshynski's article on ESPN.com. So apparently, this past Saturday, their fans started a protest, basically to outcry the public absenteeism. This is Greg Wyshynski's words, not mine, of Terry and Kim Pagulo, the ownership. There has been zero acknowledgement from the Pagulos in response to the state of play. Over what is almost a nine-year drought from this protest, we want an acknowledgement from the management that they know what's happening and that they are trying to fix it. So you have fans starting protests about how bad this has become in Buffalo. And just to give you a better example, this was Sam Reinhart last night, Mm -hmm. the Sabres lost to the Detroit Red Wings, who are the worst team in the NHL. It was overtime, and you went back and watched the video, Joe. Sam Reinhart basically stopped back-checking, yeah. which led to Detroit's goal. Now, we don't know the whole full story here if this was him being on the ice for a long period of time, if there was some exhaustion in it. But just listen to Sam Reinhart afterwards when the uh, when the media was talking to him. It almost quit on <laughs> Do you think that I don't think I don't think I'm going to value that question right now. Do you think you back-checked on that play? The way you need to? I'm not going to value that question right now. I mean, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? It looked like you I'm, stopped. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into it with you right now. So, now, first of all, I don't know if that was the best way to phrase a question to a player. It was kind of like you were taking shots at him, but. I mean, the question was thrown at a player. Did you feel like you stopped playing on that play there? Yeah, I think the reporter did his job. I think he has to ask that question because that's clearly what it looked like for me. So the back-checking play happened at the end of the first period. Dylan Larkin scored the first goal of the game. Detroit Red Wings are up by a goal very late, about 10 seconds left. A shot is blocked in the defense in the defensive zone of the Detroit Red Wings, and off they go. Dylan Larkin is joined by former Blue and Robbie Fabry, creates a 2-on-1 with under about 8 seconds to go. They go the distance of the ice and they score a goal Dylan Larkin with just under a second to go in that first period. That's the play that the reporter and everyone is kind of referring to in the sense that Sam Reinhart, right after that shot is blocked and he sees a two-on-one, he kind of gets going, but he kind of doesn't. I mean, again, you don't know how long he's out there for. Right. Maybe uh, Certainly, I looked at the, the stats at the end of the game. He finished the game with 25 minutes, and again, this play happened in the first period. So I think he was, uh, from an injury standpoint, he was probably okay. He was good there, yeah. Uh, and from the, the sound of his tone at the end of the, the game there as well, I think he's probably healthy. But <laughs> right. two-on-one. He tries to get back, and he kind of stalls, and he tries to go. You know, he's also looking at the clock. You know, was he fighting the clock? Did he see seven seconds ago and think, I don't think they're going to make it? And then he realized, oops, maybe they will make it. <laughs> you know, so you don't know what's going on in that player's head, but certainly he did not back check 
to his full potential. That that is one thing that is very very clear. So for Sam Reinhart um, to get acknowledged by this, I think it's part of the the questions that are happening right now in Buffalo. I think this is part of the losing culture. If that happened in St. Louis, that player would be sat. That player would maybe be sent down, depending on who it was. If that's a Jordan Cairo and he doesn't back check all the way, I guarantee you he does. He is not in the lineup. Craig Berube would not stand for that because that is not the culture that the St. Louis Blues. Uh, just typically stand for. Uh, again, Sam Reinhardt, he's a young kid. He's 24, super skilled, super high end. So he's got a lot of learning to do. But when you're back checking, even if you're tired, Alex, you, you put your head down, you move those arms as fast as you can. You look like you're skating hard. Even if you're not skating hard, you right. don't have the energy to get there. You or at may least just dive and reach. Get the body language out there like you actually are trying because, it, it, again, that was a little bit embarrassing. It was kind of unacceptable to see Sam Reinhardt look at a two on one and not give it any more effort than he did. And of course, the Detroit Red Wings score in the two-on-one late in that period, and they go off to win the game in the shootout. Things not good right now in Buffalo, plain to say. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Goaltending, is it a concern right now for the Blues? We'll talk with Joe Vitale about that next here on This Week in Hockey. Yeah, I haven't rewatched it. Uh, I just felt it hit the post and go off my back shoulder and, uh, you know, knew it was in. So it happens. That's Jordan Bennington from last night. Welcome back into This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you after another tough performance once again for Jordan Bennington. And, you know, Joe, I don't know if we should be having sincere concerns right now because the guy does have, what, 24 victories on the season, which is second best in the National Hockey League, and he's only played 39 games, so he's going out there and he's giving a solid performance every single night, but this is a string right now of giving up three or more goals for the St. Louis Blues. Should we be concerned about Bennington right now? I think what the frustrating thing about Bennington for fans is that they see the goals he's letting in, Alex, and sometimes they are soft and they're uncharacteristic because he doesn't let soft goals in. But the frustration is... Then, like when it's a one nothing game, the Blues are losing. He will make a save like he made against Carolina the other night, where he's like sprawled out. He's in yoga <laughs> pigeon position, where he's making saves behind his back, and you know four saves in really. Or but, even the two on zero that he had last night yeah, against the Jets. I mean two on zero, and he, he makes an incredible stop with the game kind of on the line there. So that's that's what's difficult because he'll make those dramatic, awesome highlight super uh, Sports Center saves. But then in last night's game, of course, you let up maybe a soft one like he did not hug in that post on the Harkins thing. You know, I woke up this morning uh, in the kitchen with my son, Harper, who's just starting to play goalie. He's starting to kind of get into hockey a little bit. And I was in the basement the other day teaching him, you know, when you grab that puck with your glove, you want to trap it. You want to close it. Or when it comes in your chest, you want to collapse on it. You don't want that rebound to squirt out. And the first thing my son said to me this morning was, Hey, Dad, in the third period, you know, Jordan Bennington it hit him in the chest, and he's got to smother that puck because that's the rebound, and then the, the Jets score, and they won. I go, you know what, son? You're absolutely right. <laughs> but, you know, it's a fundamental thing that Jordan Bennington, again, I said on the broadcast last night, he does it in his sleep. A puck hits him in the chest, he smothers it up, they get a whistle. It's such a routine thing that he does all the time. And he just didn't make the play. He just didn't make it happen. He knows he should have done it. He knows he does that in his sleep typically, but the plays aren't getting made and maybe a couple soft goals have been going in now and then. Do I think it's a concern, Alex? Absolutely not. I think that we're looking at a goaltender who is dealing with being a starter for the first time in his NHL career. He's never had to go through the mental grind, the emotional grind, the physical grind of being the guy day in and day out. We all have jobs out there. There is a big difference between a starter and a backup. There's a big difference between showing up to your job and just being a contributor to a job site or versus maybe being the guy who's running the work. It's a lot more stress on you. It takes a lot more toll from a mental and a 
physical standpoint to being the guy, the number one guy. And that's what Jordan is dealing with right now from a mental, emotional standpoint. These are hiccups. These are lulls. They're going to happen throughout his first NHL season as the full-time starter. Another thing, is, it's going to be a physical wear and tear. This is a goaltender whose bread and butter, and what makes him so great is his legs. His legs getting over left to right, his angles, cutting down angles, uh, being aggressive, knowing when to sit back in the net, hugging the post, but everything comes from his legs. His legs are tired. They've been going all year long, uh, but I do believe come March we're looking at a goaltender who will put all that aside and he will understand that this is just a little bit of adversity and he will find what it takes to win again uh, and to make those saves, the routine saves, to make the highlight reel saves, to make the saves that are going to keep his team in the game and to make saves that are going to change the momentum of a game because I think we're looking at a goaltender and I've gotten to know him over the year. I know you know him as well, Alex. Something stands out about him. And it's just the ice in his veins technique. He's yeah. got that poise. He's got the composure. He's got the calmness. And that is such an invaluable intangible. I cannot explain to you from Darren Pang to Brian Boucher, goaltenders who have played a long time in this league. You can't put it down on paper. You don't know exactly what it is. But some goalies have it and some goalies don't. And I think if you look at that intangible across the National Hockey League, I don't know if any goaltenders got it to the, to the amount of, of Jordan Bennington, and that's what's the most important asset as your goaltender. When the game is on the line, will he show up? Will he fight for you? Will he compete? And Jordan Bennington will do all those things. I do not think there's any reason for panic. Well, and and here's the thing about him too, Joe, and fans see this, but he's so calm. Like, he doesn't get frazzled by anything. He just, he knows that he needs to play better, and he even said it last night. He's like, look, it shouldn't have happened, but it happened, and you move forward with it. The fact is it's six straight games with three or more goals given up by Bennington, which is kind of an oddity, but Craig Berube had this to say about him afterwards. It's partially Bennington, but it's everybody. It's on everybody. The bottom line is it's everybody. We need to be tougher in front of our net. And if you look at two of those three goals, that that, that Harrington goal, that was one that you'd think, okay, yeah, you need that. You said it last night in the post game. He does that in his sleep. He's pinched against the post. Nothing's getting past him. But the other two... Yes, they were softer goals to give up, but it was also a breakdown in front of the net where this team is so solid when it comes to their blue line and boxing out and making sure that nobody gets past them. We've talked about it since the All-Star break is wrapped up. It's been loose defensively for this team. That's an area that, and Ruby said it last year, if we play better in front of our goaltender, our goaltender plays better. And that's just, it's the matter of the fact when it comes to it. Well, and yeah, as a player on this team, you're looking at a goalie that's had your back since last January. I mean, how much has Jordan Bennington bailed your team out when you guys were struggling, when you guys were up against the ropes, when you were 8, 10 points out of a playoff spot, and he was the guy. Now I think this team, and, and Craig Bruby's absolutely right, this team owes a lot more to Jordan Biddington and some of the plays that happened, especially in that last night game, for example. You're right, the shot from the outside from Losovic, he should have had it. He should have trapped it. He should have gotten a whistle. He didn't, but it's okay. You're all still in good shape. The puck's not in your net. Right. But it's that cop battle. It's right in front of the net where cop has two, three whacks at it. And meanwhile, you have a defender right there who's just kind of staring at him and doesn't grab the stick, a fundamental thing that just does not get done. Two on one. Mark Shifley, Patrick Line. You don't give up on ran rushes, especially against those two players, especially against that team, a fast transition team of the Winnipeg Jets. The Blues do that. Colton Pareko, the decision was right. The mindset was right. He crosses over the red line. He tries to chip it in. The play does not get made. Because that play does not get made, everyone's going to the bench. Everyone's exhausted. They need to get a line change. It's the second period. They have a long change. 
play doesn't get made, it's gone the other way, it's a two-on-one. So that's what Craig Berube's talking about in that Patrick Line goal. Yes, Jordan can be better, but listen, we could be a lot better as a team all in front of him. It's um, it's a give and take. Yes, you need your goaltending, but yes, we need much better five-on-five. Five. And uh, it, it's good, it's good to, that the coach said that because yeah. – I think that there are a lot of coaches in the National Hockey League that would look at those goals last night and say, yeah, you know what, he didn't have a very good game. Um, I'm sure he'll, he'll get a good night's sleep and hopefully we'll rebound tomorrow. I mean, for Jordan Bennington, he's reading those comments, he's hearing about those comments, and he knows now that this coach has got his back and this team has got his back, and, and that's a good feeling, and that increases that trust, which is um, such an important part of this Blues culture. You talked about the legs and him going all season long. Does it benefit Bennington to play a little more Jake Allen, give Bennington a little bit of time off like we saw in November and December? Or do you want to keep using him because you want him to get that mindset so when you get into March, that confidence is there? Well, I think they're kind of feeling it out right now. I think he's been going the distance a lot. And and to me, I mean, I'm not the head coach of this of this organization, this team, but you could almost make the argument now that as we hit through some tough stretches at the end of February, especially in March, uh, we, again, we don't have a lot of back-to-backs, but I think you just start supplementing Jake Allen in a lot more. You yeah. know, We have a Nashville back-to-back, for example, coming up next weekend. Uh, does Jordan Bennington take the Saturday afternoon one here, and then you go back to Jake Allen? Yeah, those are those are the gimmies. But are those just like the days off before and after games? Maybe you just throw Jake in there. Maybe you tell Jordan, hey, uh, we got a game tomorrow night. Uh, take the day off today. Well, morning, skate in the morning. You're not going in tomorrow night, and then we have a practice day after that. Here's a good three-day reset. Let's right. work on some fundamentals. Let's work on some things in practice with David Alexander, the goaltending coach, and kind of get a reset. I think you could use a few of those. I think that this is a goalie that last year, he just played games. I mean, the Blues are out that stretch of right. games. Remember last year, especially being on the road, they didn't practice all that much, and then playoffs was every other game. You literally just played, then you were off. Then you morning skated, and you played, and then you were off. It just That's the rhythm of what it was. So I think that's when he's at his best, when he's at his freshest. So uh, I, I do agree with you. I think that at some point here we will start seeing Jake Allen in the net, maybe even more than one game at a time. Right. We, we may see him like on a road trip, for example. I know uh, the father's trip's coming up, so I expect both goalies to get in. But there could be a road trip that like we can go to New York. Maybe Jake gets into the New York Rangers and a New Jersey Devils, or maybe a Devils and a Chicago Blackhawks, both on the road there. But I do think Jordan could use a good little reset. But again, I think that this is also a coach that is just so competitive, wants right. to win, and he wants to make sure that Jordan knows, hey, you're our go-to guy. We're not flip-flopping here. You're our guy. You're going to go the distance for us and make sure you understand that. Well, and I also would guarantee you that Bennington's saying, don't take me out. Yeah, I want to be in it, between the pipes. Exactly. And he's such a competitor, too. Right. He's like, no, I want to play. Yeah. He tells his coach he wants to play. I mean, right. so, and that's what you want to hear as a head coach as well. So it's a fine balance for yeah, sure. Yeah, it is. It's going to be fun to find out. And of course, the Blues in action tomorrow night. Uh, we'll find out who will be uh, in net against the Dallas Stars uh, during the morning skate tomorrow for the Blues. Our final segment comes your way next. Time for a little What's Up with that. Joe and I. We'll hit that and the upcoming week next on This Week in Hockey. Time now for What's Up With That. Well, sit on down and tell me what's up with that. Final segment, and that sound means it is time for What's Up With That. As Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you wrapping things up. We'll get to the week ahead in just a bit, but Joe, let's start with this one. So the Toronto Maple Leafs pull off a trade the earlier this week as they have to get a backup goaltender. They bring in Jack Campbell along with Kyle Clifford, and they trade away a guy named Trevor Moore along with some other prospects. So Trevor Moore... He's going to have to do a little shopping after he was traded away. So his luggage was pulled off of the bus when he was traded. Only problem is, 
it wasn't his luggage. Oh, whose luggage was it? I don't know. It was a teammate's. They didn't say whose it was. But <laughs> but how, how about that, where they pull it off the bus and they're basically like, okay, see you later. Wait, this isn't my luggage. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know that happened a few years ago with, believe it or not, the, the Post-Dispatch beat writer Jim Thomas. Oh, God, oh I, I remember this. I want to say he grabbed... Uh, it was Steen's. Steen's it bag. Was Steen's. So all the bags. So when the Blues land late at night, it's one, two in the morning. Some of these cities they get back from. You land. Uh, we have a side airport by Lambert, and we get off. Obviously, we go down the stairs, and your bags are just there. You just grab them. Everyone's got a freaking black bag. I mean, I I actually put a white string on my bag this year just to kind of separate it from everyone else's. But everyone's got that black bag. So what happens when Jim Thomas takes home this bag, thinking it's his? He gets home, he unpacks it, and he sees all these probably great clothes and awesome like Swedish scarves in there and like Gucci loafers or whatever Steiner's got in his bag. And long story short, that's exactly what happened. Jim Thomas took home Steen's bag, and Steen probably opened up and saw a bunch of newspapers and pencils and pens and whatever the heck Jim Thomas carries with him on the road. I have no idea. Can you imagine if you're Jim Thomas and you're walking in your hotel and you're like? I don't own a Gucci suit. Where's my socks at? <laughs> His wife's like, oh, honey, there's some serious shopping there in Nashville. Come home and just have receipts. Like, what the hell did you... Just bottles of scotch or wine in there. Be like, what the hell did you do, JT? Unreal. That's hilarious. Well, yeah, that one was good. Well, then how about this one, too? I don't know if you saw this. Of course, Ilya Kovalchuk, not a fan favorite in New Jersey, mm-hmm. as we all know, because... Yep. Basically goes to the KHL after he signs a long-term contract. He comes back and doesn't go back to New Jersey. Uh, He scores a goal for the Montreal Canadiens the other night in a shootout and had the ultimate celebration afterwards. He skated away from the net and just looked at the crowd who was booing him all night yeah. and just kind of put the finger to the mouth and just told him to be quiet. Oh, I love it. How do you, like, if there's an ultimate just stab in the back celebration by a guy, that's it. That's like my dad told me when I was driving once. Someone flipped my dad off when he accidentally cut them off, and I remember him raising his hand, and all he did was wave, like in the mirror. I mean, and to me, that is the most subtle, aggravating thing you can do to promote road rage for people that are so mad at you on the road. Like, people, you instinctually want to give them the finger. Instinctually, you want to cut them off or honk at them, but the worst thing you can do is just put out your hand and just wave to them. That just gets people so fired up. And that, to me, is exactly what Kovalchuk did when he kind of gave him the shushy hand. You know, you don't flip him off. You don't do the, uh, um, who's the guy in Boston who flips off the crowd? Uh, oh, Ference. Ference. <laughs> Ference yeah. flips off the crowd. I think it's and worse said to it was a glove malfunction. Yeah, glove <laughs> malfunction. Yeah, I heard that before when Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake <laughs> did the halftime show. But anyway, so yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, doing the shush thing uh, was spectacular. You know, it was a we were in Winnipeg last week, Alex, um, in the shootout, and David Prawn was, I think, the first shooter. Yeah, first shooter yep. in that shootout. And uh, he got he got absolutely just wrote. It wasn't in Winnipeg. Where the heck were we? It was in Calgary. Calgary. We were in yeah. Calgary. Excuse me. He were in Calgary. He was the first shooter, and he was getting roasted in Calgary. And they showed a close up of him on the camera, and he's just smirking. You know what I mean? So that's the best thing you do. You got to score a goal. You got to love that as a player, though. If you're getting booed that loud at a stadium, that means that they hate you because you're relevant. Exactly. You got to love that. And I'm surprised too, because Kovalchuk gave New Jersey a lot of great years, yeah. man. I understand when he got out of his contract, that was kind of sketchy here and there. He ended up going back over to Russia and and there was some contract termination involved with that and kind of put the devils in a bad spot so you, you get that side of it but man he 
talk about a competitor along with Alex Ovechkin. I mean, he is a, a true competitor and a true skillful guy. I heard he's a terrific dude. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, but yeah, that's the best thing you do. Score a goal and shush the crowd. Can I tell you one that my that happened to my dad when it comes to guys flipping you off driving? Yeah. So he told me basically he was on his way home from the Lake of the Ozarks and some guy was just riding him on, you know, tailing him the entire time, flipping him off. And then the guy sped up to go around my dad. The guy stuck his head out the window to start cussing him out and the guy's glasses fell off. Yeah. Flew backwards. My dad's like, I didn't even have to do anything. Just sat there and enjoyed the ride <laughs> yes. with that one. That's a nice karma sandwich. How that <laughs> That's taste? karma for you. Hey, one more. Your buddy Sidney Crosby, of course, in action uh, a couple of games ago against the Washington Capitals. So basically, Evgeny Kuznetsov, he tried to get on the Penguins' bench after a shift because the Capitals had too many players on the ice. <laughs> so he basically tries to jump off the ice before they get called. This was Crosby's quote afterwards. Hey, he tried to get on our bench. That's a smart play. Give him credit. If you can't get to your own, might as well try it. Right? <laughs> I think so. I saw that. I couldn't believe What an actual, absolute uh, veteran decision. <laughs> I don't think that's a penalty, is it? Can you just jump I, over? Well, I think he got a penalty. He did. Because technically it's not your bench. It's not your bench. You can't just... So I think he got the penalty. You can get knocked into your other team's bench Correct. from a hit, which is fine, so, which we see all the time. So but. if I'm Kuznetsov, I'm, I'm just going to try and get somebody to skate by me and make it look like, you know, like just push and then you're like, whoa, whoa, you hit me in my bench. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was funny though. Yeah, pretty pretty good heads up play by Kuznetsov. That's a vet move right yeah, there. Yeah, it was, man. Look, was and awesome. when you get, the, you get the nod from Crosby, the captain respect you for that one yep i've only seen that one other time when someone went back to a different bench but that was because they got absolutely like laid out i think they were doing dealing some head concussions we were playing a game i can't even forget who it was but it was against the montreal canadians and um sat on the bench and he just literally came opened the door it went right down our tunnel like it was his own bench and then we realized later that he had a some serious concussion protocol Jeez. so you don't really feel bad you feel bad for him after that it's the same way that happened with dennis weidman when dennis he pushed weidman. the ref yeah. and he said he's like look i i was blacked out i had uh, no idea who was that who was that still is the suspension for me and fine for yeah. me that just does not make any sense i, look I agree at, i look at that replay over and over i'm like are you serious like come on you could on. tell just in his Mannerisms that something's not right with yeah. Weidman. Yeah, that was that was a tough one for right. him. The the other story. If you heard this from Bobby Plager, tell the story about Noel Picard going to the other bench. No. So basically, it was a game Boston taking on St. Louis, and it was a long shift. Noel Picard and Bobby tells the story so much better. So if you ever talk to him, you got to ask him about the story. But Picard is just exhausted after a long shift, and this was at the time where there were two benches on each side of the ice. Blues were on by the penalty box side. The Bruins were on the other side of the ice. So Picard, who's exhausted, had his head down and is just skating towards the bench, and he jumps over the boards and sits on Boston's bench. And he said he looks up after about 10 seconds looking down and just like, where the hell am I? And everyone is just laughing at this guy. So then Bobby goes on to tell the story that the next game that they played in Boston, they had a sign on the bench that said, hey, Noel, this isn't your bench. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's just awesome. That's beauty. That may be my next favorite Bobby Plager story, right behind the bottle beer story. You ever heard the bottle? I haven't beer heard the bottle oh, beer story. We'll, we'll we're gonna have to save. We're gonna have to have Bobby on one on night just to tell some stories with us. Bobby, we'll have a segment called Bobby Stories. Bobby stories. That would be a, that's a great like, idea. I would like that. I like that. All right, real quick before we get out of here, of course, the Blues in action tomorrow night. They're taking on the Dallas Stars. We've kind of already talked about the difficulty of taking on this Dallas team, Joe, but they're a team that's not as good on the road as they are at home, but a team that is playing much better right now with some confidence from their forwards. They got Steven Johns back this season, who was out for a long period of time. And then, of course, you got to deal with Ben Bishop. Yeah, yeah, Ben Bishop. I mean, they have all the pieces. Again, you get Corey Perry, you get Pavelski. 
Last year, I think that you're starting to see Corey Berry kind of turn it on. Pavelski's starting to turn it on. Talk about two veterans who've been around the league a long time that have just taken a little bit of time to find those adjustments and a little bit of time to kind of find their groove there with Dallas. But those two guys are going. You got Jamie Benn, who's always a villain when he comes into the St. Louis building. Love it. I think they have one of the best decor as far as from top to bottom in the National Hockey League. And then you got Ben Bishop, who can be streaky, who's been known to steal games, but he's also been known to let in some soft ones. So to me, Alex, tomorrow night in St. Louis, Stars, Blues, it's going to come down to one thing. Which goaltender makes the, the big save and which goaltender makes the routine saves? Who yeah. doesn't let up a soft one? That's all one of Ben Bishop's games the other night. And again, like Jordan Bennington, a couple soft ones uh, kind of squeaking through the armpits a little bit. So whatever goalie makes those routine saves, whatever goaltender maybe makes that game-saving save at the right time in the game, to me, that's going to be the, the team that's victorious tomorrow night here in St. Louis. Well, we'll find out. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop with Curbs and Joey here on 101 ESPN. A 6 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. A 6.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. Joe, once again, buddy, great show and uh, a happy Friday night to you. Too fun. Hey, tell your mom happy birthday. I will. T- apologize to your wife for having to spend time with me on a Friday night rather than her. Hey, you know what? It's all right. It's part of the business, Alex, and you're the second best thing next to my, oh my wife. God. I'm going to clip this off and make this my ringtone every time Joe calls me. Uh, That's Joe Vitale. Big thank you to Dan Betlock for his help tonight as well. Have a great night, everyone. Stick around because the great John Kelly has Behind the Bench next here on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.